0: My name is Ronan Kavanagh, Editor of Conversation of the Century, and I'm delighted to be joined today by our Executive Editor for Operations, Noah Brenner, to talk about the upcoming Energy Intelligence Forum. Welcome, Noah. Thanks for having me, Ronan. It's a pleasure. Now, we're back this year to an in-person event after a two-year hiatus, but also to a reality that's very different to before the pandemic, or even just a year ago.
1: I mean, as you said, it, it couldn't be a more different environment. I mean, the war in Europe has really upended uh, corporate outlooks and government policies. I mean, everyone, whether it's politicians, executives, in the broader society really feels whiplashed by by these events. And, and the world is navigating what we would say is, is its greatest energy challenge in, in a generation. Um, I mean, governments, uh, companies are, are suddenly forced to, to face these conflicting pressures to both provide more energy, more oil, more gas, um, more power now, but at the same time, um, maintaining or, or if anything, accelerating the low carbon transition that was already in place, uh, you know, before these events. So, I mean, energy geopolitics and security of supply are really back at at the top of the agenda. And, and of course,
0: those are the twin themes of, of this year's forum. And important themes. But let's turn now to some of the questions we're going to be addressing. Firstly, the geopolitical pressures you mentioned, you know, have led to gas pricing making you know major headlines now. And what are the important questions there we'll be looking at?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, these soaring gas prices and this renewed focus on on securing supply are changing the outlook for natural gas, and and you know particularly in Europe, and and this is upending kind of the the traditional trade flows, and so you know we're looking at. Um, how exporting countries uh, could have additional opportunities to to sell gas into Europe as, as it looks to replace Russian volumes, and, and how that might affect kind of their own domestic politics as we see energy prices in these places rise as well. And I think, you know, stepping back, the question that's really on our mind and I think on the minds of industry is, has the role of gas in the global energy system changed? Has the outlook for it changed? Um, Is there a a larger space for gas over a longer period of time um, as we progress through the the energy transition? And and I think that's going to be a key question for
0: for speakers to address. And you mentioned that trade flows are changing, but geopolitics also seem to be re-plumbing global energy trading. And, And what are the kinds of things we'll be exploring there?
1: Well, I mean, I think this is really this is a panel I'm I'm really excited for. I mean, traders and major buyers have stepped in to provide the liquidity and the flexibility that's been needed, really to you know, as you said, replumb the energy system. As we've seen, this kind of bifurcation between east and west, with Russian volumes going to to different places, going to Asia, Europe, looking for for additional supplies to backfill those volumes, and so we've got a panel with CEOs of some of the biggest trading firms, um, and we'll be asking them. You know uh, what spiking volatility and prices mean for just how markets need to to function on a day in day out, really minute by minute basis, um, and how those energy trade flows are are rerouting. You know to what extent is this temporary, uh, and to what extent is it is it permanent? Um, and as well, you know that creates a, an entire suite of of risks, but of course great opportunities um, for for trading firms and and for trading uh, operations within. Uh, large companies, and so you know, as well alongside this, there's this question about um, you know what's the role of the dollar and and how it will continue to play a major role or, or potentially decline as the currency for for global energy payments. Uh, and so, I mean, I think it's really just a fascinating set of issues facing a really critical but oftentimes kind of underappreciated part of of the the energy system
0: definitely i shall be tuning into that panel myself but uh, let's look at gas i mean we can't mention you know gas without looking at the new world promise for lng but how is geopolitics changing that outlook sure i mean again we're we're coming back to europe's push away from
1: from russian gas from those russian pipeline supplies and its need to look elsewhere and and to secure those supplies i mean that means lng for a large part and we've seen uh geopolitics you know, completely kind of rerouting the way that that LNG moves in the world. I mean, volumes that that previously might have gone to to Asia, um, or to other markets, are, are finding their way into Europe at a record rate, and you know, at, and it's high prices, um, and and really a crisis of supply that are providing the market forces to, to, to draw those volumes in. And so, I mean, we're going to be asking, okay, so what does this mean for an industry that you know maybe had been a bit hesitant to push ahead with some of these large projects um, to, to monetize large reserves? But at the same point, you know, simply having high prices near-term doesn't necessarily create the conditions that are needed to to, to go ahead long term. So, what is it that buyers want? I mean, are are European buyers really willing to sign these long term contracts that are going to be needed to bring on new supply? Um, and and can they sort of find a, a middle ground with sellers um, who you know need that security to finance these projects, but um, but recognize that that perhaps you know Europe's uh, long term outlook for gas might still, is, is still going to be challenged by by its
0: move towards lower carbon energy. And and you mentioned lower carbon energy there. I mean, the transition has been a huge focus for the industry for so long. But is this getting sidelined now at all? Oh, no, no, not, uh, no, I don't think in the least. I mean, uh,
1: this is, you know, the Ukraine crisis and this new focus on energy security has certainly changed the debate. Um, it's changed, you know, the rhetoric around how we think about energy but you know the question. I think uh, the big question right now is is how the world balances, you know, this new priority in terms of recognizing that security of supply is incredibly important with these longer term ambitions for the energy transition. And in a lot of ways, the security of supply um, questions. You know, the answer to that, particularly in the case of, of a place like Europe, where you don't have a lot of domestic oil and gas resources the answer to that can be more renewables, and that's what we've seen in European policy to date. Um, you know, so looking at this kind of more now, less tomorrow dynamic for hydrocarbons coming into focus in Europe and playing out broadly across the globe, um, you know, how is this reconciled near-term? And then what are kind of the long-term impacts on the, the trajectory and the pace
0: uh, of the transition, I think is is going to be really fascinating. And I mean, industry is one part of it, isn't it? I mean, but what about the world of finance or the role of finance in balancing, you know, net zero pressure and the world's energy needs? What are we seeing there? Well,
1: I mean, this is something that really came into focus um, at the last COP uh, meeting in Glasgow, where we had... Uh, banks, major funds really kind of outlining um, uh, quite aggressive positions to move towards net zero. And so that was kind of the pledge. Now we're actually getting to how are they going to implement these net zero goals? And I think this is where things get interesting. It's kind of easy to make the promise. It's much harder to say, how are we going to deliver on it? And the energy industry is at the center of that question around how are they going to to deliver on it, because you know we are seeing the need for for additional investments in particularly natural gas, but you know oil and gas as well, um, as well as this need to accelerate funding into the renewables space. And so, you know, with these transition strategies in place, how do investors want um, financial firms to allocate capital, to allocate their capital, um, but as well as debt um, equity? Across the energy space, and you know the answer is not going to be the same for each um, for each individual type of investor, and so I think this is where we really see some some different approaches and some different strategies potentially uh, forming over the next, say,
0: five years. Now we've been hearing so much about supply chain pressures lately, but how might this? affect the renewables rev- revolution, these rising costs for equipment, et cetera?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, certainly inflation is not, you know, inflation is everywhere and, and inflation is not, um, you know, simply on on the energy, on the price of energy. We're also seeing it in the inputs, in the costs. Um, and this is particularly interesting when it comes to renewables, where we have seen some some pinch points emerge, Um and also because they've, you know, they, they really rely on that low cost development up front um, to then, you know, create the value throughout the the remainder of their life. And so, you know, I think what we're going to be asking is how is that, you know, how, how are these increased costs um, being managed within growth strategies? I mean, we're not seeing companies back off those growth strategies. So, so what does it mean for for returns at the corporate level? But then, you know, taking that one step up. What does it mean then for the appetite of those companies to um, to potentially accelerate and and then the impact on on the overall energy system? And so you know how does what we're seeing today in the the cost of something as, as simple as as steel um, or battery materials or or, or um, you know something like that, how does that then, inform how we think about how quickly the world can move towards a lower carbon future.
0: And looking at Europe, I mean, post-crisis, what do you think Europe's energy future is looking like? Well, I, I mean, I
1: think that there are a lot of key questions to, to look at over the next, say, handful of months as we start to see um, Europe again kind of have to, we talk about delivering on these promises, I mean, Europe having to deliver on promises to, to wean itself off Russian oil and oil products, um, and to cut down on Russian gas. And so, you know, in what time frame is it really realistic um, to, to, to execute these changes um, in a, a massive system? And, and then where do the alternative supplies come from? Um, you know, how much can we substitute fuels? How much can renewables step in um, to provide power? How much will we need to, to look at things like the potential for expanded nuclear? Uh, you know, where who becomes Europe's um, fuel supplier in terms of liquid fuels like diesel, gasoline, um, because the continent is, is not equipped, not tooled to, to meet those demands on its own. And so, you know, to me, I think this is, is again, you know, coming back to it, just one of the really core discussions uh, that we're going to have at the forum because, you know, we're going to be meeting in the first week of October uh, as we start to, to go into the winter season. Um, where these types of, of questions no longer become theoretical. They become very, very real as we look at the need to, to keep the lights on, to keep the heat on, uh, and to do so in a way that's affordable, both for consumers,
0: um, customers, but as well as industries. And, you know, as well as customers, I mean, this affects producers. But, I mean, it seems as if the producers and consumers are at a crossroad. I mean, is this the case? Well, I mean, we've certainly seen... Uh, very different dynamic
1: um, coming from, you know, uh, from major producers who are working their way through through the hiccups of, uh, major hiccups, I guess I would say, of, of the pandemic. I mean, uh, global energy prices were, were in some cases zero I mean, things that people didn't think were possible. Um, and so upstream investment responded. But where we're at now, we are now seeing that there is, you know, spare capacity is dwindling, The ability to access some of the financing that's needed is tight. And on the the IOC side, on the corporate side, we're seeing companies that are much more um, oriented towards uh, rewarding shareholders with with large dividends and buybacks uh, and accelerating their own transition strategies rather than necessarily investing in kind of that core oil and gas. And so, you know, we'll be looking at kind of what the West's isolation from Russia means for the geopolitical balance of, of oil supply and demand? I mean, where, where do these supplies come from and, and where do Russian volumes flow to? Um, and you know, how might high prices uh, unlock upstream investment among the OPEC plus producers, U.S. shale, um, and others? And, and kind of what the, the core relationships and dynamics are between um, you know, the IOCs and the NOCs that are going to be those types of partnerships that are going to be uh, needed to make sure that the world has enough energy in the future.
0: I mean, and as you infer there, it's a global industry, but I mean, and the conference looks at the industry globally, but, you know, more broadly, it seems like we're reaching an end of globalization. I mean, is this something we're seeing and we'll be looking at at the conference as well? I mean, I think that's when you're kind of wondering about, you know, as we look broadly
1: out at the future over, say, the next five years, I mean, that key question that, that's going to kind of drive so many corporate and governmental decisions, you know, does this bifurcation of the energy system that we're seeing between East and West, with Russian volumes, as we said, flowing to new customers in Asia, um, Europe trying to to find different supplies, I mean, the threat of, of really widespread sanctions um, from the West that are, you know, Uh, being pledged and then and then will need to be implemented more uh, more fulsomely you know what kind of world does that leave us in terms of of trade flows in terms of the currencies that are used uh, in terms of the relationships I mean as, as we pointed out up to this point I mean you know what we really want to get at is is you know how energy security low carbon transition and global geopolitics all come together um to create kind of this this really complex um, but really vital uh, intersection, and so I mean, for instance, you know, if China is sort of uh, mopping up cheap Russian energy, uh, whether that's gas or whether that's oil, um, you know, is there a point when they when China is is concerned about becoming too dependent on Russia, as it's seen, you know, perhaps a cautionary tale in Europe. Um, you know what does that mean for relations and and China's um, industrial competitiveness relative to the rest of the world? What does it mean for the competitiveness of of industry in Europe, in the U.S.? I mean, these are all at a time when when everyone um, has really woken up to to the importance of energy um, in the economic and and the political landscape. Um, you know, I think how we understand these these different relationships is is going to be
0: vital absolutely and and we have panels on all these subjects and more but we also have a lot of le- leadership dialogues and, and an impressive lineup from all sectors of the industry and wider can you tell us a bit about that noah sure i mean you know we've
1: we've we're going to have some really interesting conversations one-on-one um with really key decision makers in the energy sphere i mean this is um you know a uh, Major leaders at national oil companies, like of course Amin Nasser, at uh, the CEO of Saudi Aramco, uh, His Excellency Dr. Sultan uh, Al-Jaber, UAE's Minister of Industry and Advanced Technology, also climate envoy, uh, will be coming to, to talk to us. Uh, you know, at the IOC's um, Ben Van Burton, CEO of Shell, um, Patrick Poyane, CEO of Total Energies, Vicky Holub from Occidental. Uh, as well, Linda Cook, CEO of Harbor Energy, Meg O'Neill, CEO of Woodside, uh, you know, and we're confirming high-level speakers, you know, uh, sort of every single week. I mean, I think what's really valuable here is the opportunity to sit down for a half an hour and have a conversation with uh, those people whose who's thinking and whose decisions are actually going to be driving some of the questions that we're talking about. You know, if you want to know where. Uh, oil and gas supplies are going to come from. If you want to know how these companies are looking at uh, the future of energy and and where oil and gas fits relative to renewables, carbon capture, the role of carbon capture, in those types of of technologies, and as well, you know, how that kind of plays out over the next, say, five to ten years. I mean, these are the people who are going to be driving um, a lot of that, and and I think it's going to be fascinating to to pick their brains about what they see.
0: Um, coming through the next, say, five years. I can't wait to hear that too. And we also have a, a trio of awards with, with some leadership dialogues as well. Do you want to tell us about those?
1: Sure. I mean, we're very happy to, um, to welcome His Excellency Saad Sherid al-Kabi, Qatar's Minister for, uh, of State for Energy Affairs, as well as the President and CEO of Qatar Energy. He'll be receiving our Energy Executive of the Year Award. and uh, We'll be sitting down for a dialogue with him. Uh, we're also very interested to speak with Claudio Discalci, the CEO of ENI. ENI uh, is the winner of our Energy Innovation Award for some of the really interesting things that they're doing in terms of their transition strategy, both on the emission side of things, but also in terms of building out their low-carbon businesses. And we've got a new award this year uh, that we're giving out uh, and to the uh, Energy Economist Award. And so this is going to be given to um, uh, Professor Nicholas Stern. He's the, uh, many people know him, he's the, the chair of the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment at the London School of Economics, uh, where he's also a professor of economics and government, but he's the author of the, um, the famous Stern Report that really was the first to, uh, to begin to quantify the financial impacts of climate change and has since provided a basis for a lot of the types of economic uh, analysis of those impacts. Um, that's playing a major role in, in finance and in corporate strategies today.
0: So a very comprehensive program. Well, thank you, Noah, for sharing those previews with us. Um, there's absolutely plenty to look forward to there.
1: Yeah, and I did want to say, uh, just to remind all of our listeners out there, there is still time to book a place to be a delegate uh, at the forum. The forum is going to be taking place October 4th to the 6th at the Intercontinental uh, Hotel, London, Park Lane, And so to find out more about the event, um, you can find more information on on the webpage, www.energyintelligenceforum.com. We look forward to seeing everyone there and um, participating in in what I think is going to be a really, really interesting conversation.
0: Yes. And thank you, Noah, for, for joining us today. That just remains for me to say thank you to our listeners today. We hope you enjoy this podcast and you'll tune in again for our next Energy Transition podcast.